Hello, friends, and welcome back to Rebel Hearts. This is a very long overdue episode 65. Oh, Lord, it's been it's been a minute since I've been on the mic. It's been approximately 10 months last time I checked, which was a couple minutes ago when I wanted to confirm what episode number this was. And let me tell you, even though it's been a minute and I do miss giving my unasked for opinion to the very a small group of people that still listen to this podcast. Um, I really enjoyed the last two episodes that I got to make with my two friends, uh, Julian and Paige. I always talk about doing collabs with them again and again. I am the worst person to um, <laughs> to be friends with in that regard when it comes to content creation and stuff because I want to work with so many of my friends that do art or do some sort of um, YouTube or podcasting or just media in general and um, <laughs> I, I get so excited and then they always respond like yeah let's do it and then we just kind of crash and burn immediately and um it sucks. Maybe, maybe in the future, um, we'll all get our shit together and we will actually, um, churn out more content together. But, um, like right now, Julian and I have tossed around the idea of the MGK movie hate watch for his channel, because I think that that'd be very fun. And I just keep getting videos on my YouTube recommended, um, for people reviewing it and saying how fucking terrible it is, which are we really surprised? And, um, my other friend Paige, who has the Measure Out podcast, we had recorded an episode a while ago, and um, to the point of us just deciding to scrap it, re-record, we've been uh, making plans and breaking them periodically over the last like two months to record. So needless to say, um, I have not been busy in my off time, but I have been making plans so I guess that counts for something. And since the last time that I sat down to record, I got engaged. So that's exciting. Um, I'm getting married next year. And that is pretty fucking rad, if you ask me. And yeah, I, I feel like every time I record, I say, I don't know what the future is for the podcast. But I never know what the future is. I just know that when I'm really excited about something, I'm going to hop on here and I'm going to talk to you guys about it and what better way to come back after a 10 month accidental hiatus than to talk about something that I really really do want to talk about and this episode is so special it is a episode dedicated to reviewing and talking about an artist that I have grown to love so dearly over the last two or almost three years and that is Barty Strange. I know everybody's so shocked. It is so surprising. If any of you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me talk endlessly about him already or how I've abandoned Twitter for the most part only to check in every month or to see what uh, Bartiz is doing or, you know, various friends and their projects just to give them a quick like or retweet. My, uh, my activity on Twitter is very chaotic, sporadic, and non-consistent which honestly has been very good for me I find myself more present online and more more willing to be online and social media now that I've kind of cut down and cut out the things that didn't really excite me so Twitter being just a rare treat for me has been very good for me but anyway 
Now, a lot of people might be asking why I've been going so hard for him and why I hype him every time I get a chance to use a Wi-Fi connection. And it is just really simple, honestly. When I discover someone I really like, I do put everything into hyping them, whether it makes a difference or not, whether they're already making millions without my tweet or not. It just boils down to whether I believe in what they're saying as an individual or not. Would I be friends with you if you weren't a parasocial relationship? I believe that you are a reflection of your friends, interests, and so on. So if I'm going to embarrass myself by being a goofy-ass fangirl, I'm making sure it's for someone I believe in and that truly deserves it, in my opinion. I don't know the man that well, but he seems like he is the most grateful artist on the internet, at least right now. And from the very brief interactions I've had uh, the pleasure of having with him, he is the most humble dude, and it just makes it all the more reason to ride for him as hard as I do. So... Whether or not it makes a difference, whether or not he sees it, it doesn't really matter to me because at the end of the day, I'm going to ride for the people that I I want to ride for. And as long as they stand for things that I also stand for and they are, in my opinion, a decent human being and they're making fucking bangers, I'm, I'm all in. I don't give a shit if it matters or not. I'm, I'm doing it. So anyway, enough about why I'm coming out of retirement to review this record, and let's talk about the record itself. Bartiz has described it as in this article from The Guardian, written by Jazz Monroe, and it was very interesting with this headline. It immediately grabbed me. The headline is, forget genres, this Obama press officer turned nonconformist pop star is in the business of crafting in uh, entire worlds of music for a truly inclusive society. Monroe wrote that Bartiz recorded Farm to Table just months after releasing Live Forever, as though fearful that public interest could vanish overnight. If he is to juggle a music career with starting a family, as he wishes, he knows he needs to make his moments count. There's not a lot of black examples of the national who have built a thing for decades and aren't going anywhere, he says. Um, just for context... Bartice's favorite band is The National. He did a little EP, I think it's like five songs of covers of The National songs. And I was not really a big fan. I mean, I never really listened to The National before meeting my fiance, but um, grown to be a pretty moderate fan of them, especially through Bartice um, doing those covers. I listened to Lemon World, especially his, his cover um, I like a little better than the nationals. Um, I listen to it all the fucking time. Um, when I was on a plane to Vegas last year, I listened to his EP of cover songs. It's called say goodbye to pretty boy. It, um, I, it's the only thing I listened to on the plane. It was just so calming and so soothing and I just really loved it. And, um, Mr. November is definitely a standout in my opinion, but anyway, um, the article expands to say in his twenties, Cox, who's um, Bartice, that is his legal last name, glimpsed another life. He sold his music gear and left his Oklahoma hometown to work in Washington, D.C. as a deputy, <laughs> deputy press secretary in the Obama administration in 2014. He recalls thinking, I'm going to be Remy, Mahershala Ali's lobbyist character from House of Cards. I'm going to dig into this world and make a difference. And then this part of the article sums up why I respect the fuck out of him as an artist and just human being in general it says he quit politics to work in an environmental campaigning quietly saving to buy it back his equipment in spare evenings he moonlighted in bands and swat uh swatted up on music production software 
At recording sessions with punk groups, he suggested an R&B or 808-style bass sound. Some producers snorted. Others got it, and Cox brought into brought them into his circle. Music, he realized, was as much about creating communities as songs. I started to look at it as a revolutionary act. Black people, brown people, queer people, women, building things that didn't exist before. That could mean something even bigger than the message in the song. Part of the Barty Strange project beyond exploding genre into musical fireworks is to reflect that emotional brendeth from a spectrum of black artists from renaissance figures such as Moses Sumney to alpha males like Future. Maybe a lot of black people have vision, he suggests, raising his palms. And if that's true, that means not all black people just want to dunk basketballs. He laughs with despair, both at the cliche and the fact that it bears repeating. The more we get used to people who aren't white boys having more than one feeling, the better we can create art and policies and systems that accommodate all of us. I truly believe that. Now, Bartise, as an artist, in my opinion, can be summed up with this paragraph that Monroe wrote. It says, he is not the only artist to sweep into indie promising a borderless post-genre future, but he may be the first to do so while rocking denim shorts in a floral summer shirt. Perched on the corner of a hotel bed, he bounces through stump speeches without teetering into over-earnestness. Um, Some days I feel like God, other days I feel like a snail, he admits at one point, equally amused by both extremes. And it's all okay. I'm lucky I can express it. And I just think that that is the coolest thing that anybody could say because, um, I mean, I don't, I, I very, very rarely have felt that feeling before. And if I have, it's been very ironically, but it's like some days I feel like a fucking God. I'm awesome. I'm untouchable. I am, I am the moment this, I, this, I am God. And then other days you're like, fuck, I just want to be a cow chewing grass. No thoughts, just grass. (laughs) <laughs> and I just think that Bartiz doesn't understand the level of um, the I maybe not the level, but the magnitude t- in which he writes music. It's just it's insane to me because when I first listened to Live Forever, I remember the reason why I became such a fan of his was it was around 2020, right before Live Forever dropped, and. All this was back when I was very active on Twitter and all my music industry friends, um, like people that work in music or people that manage bands and so on, or people that are in bands that I respect and love. Everybody was talking about Barty Strange and I found it really odd because for I, I never really see that unless it's for like a big, big name, like, you know, my feed is usually like Paramore or Phoebe Bridgers these days or just really insanely popular artists so to see everybody coming together for this artist that I never heard of I was quick to check him out because I love music recommendations especially if it's being especially if they're being championed by a large group of people and he was all over my my feed all all his vinyl variants kept selling out and I was like ah, ah. I was unemployed at the time I did not know what the fuck was up with my life it was peak pandemic and I was like I don't know how I'm gonna do it but I really need to buy this this dude's record I didn't hear I think I heard like a couple of seconds of either Kelly Rowland or Boomer and I was like fuck it I'm buying the record I don't, I don't care I have no money but I need this vinyl in my life so I I had bought the vinyl 
And um, I didn't actually listen to the whole record for a couple months just because being unemployed was really not it for me. But I remember listening to it in the car and I just let the whole thing play because I had heard at this point in time, I had heard all of Boomer, loved Boomer, much like everybody else did. Mustang, obviously another huge hit from that record. And then I remember in the car, I was uh, I was in a parking lot and Colin had went to um, do something or he left the car and I was in it. And I just heard the opening of Flage God and I was so confused. I did not know it was the same record. I didn't know that we were still listening to Bartiz. And I was like, this song is amazing. <laughs> and then Fallen For You came on and I was like, what? It, again, is this still the same record? And then Ghostly and it just that record is all over the fucking place. And I think that's why I like Bartiz so much as an artist because it's very unpredictable what you're going to get from him. He, um, <laughs> I am recording this intro uh, two days ahead of Farm to Table's release. So I only know what to expect from the couple songs that he put out prior to the release on Friday. And already it's all over the damn place. And I love that. And I feel like, I know it's cliche to say, but no artist is really doing that, especially, you know, artists uh, coming up right now. Everything kind of sounds the same or you kind of get the vibe like, okay, this belongs on this record. Oh, you know, I can I can hear how these all tie together. Everything that Bartiz has put out um, does not uh, sound cohesive. And that is the best compliment uh, in this context because you genuinely don't know what you're going to get from him. You could get a dance track like Flage God or Wretched, or you can get, you know, a huge indie, indie rock, indie pop um, sound like Boomer, Mustang, or even Heavy Heart. Um, Weights. I know Weights isn't on um, this record. I, I know it's not on Farm to Table, and it was a. Um, bonus track on Lift Forever when he re-released it for the deluxe version. Uh, I believe it was the beginning of the year or late last year. I can't remember. I want to say it was late last year. Um, Waits, uh, I had said somehow sounds like a title fight song. I can't explain that to you, but it very much sounds like a song that would be off of Shed. And I just, I fucking love, I, I fucking love that so much. And I think that's why I gravitate towards his music because there's something for every mood that I'm in and I don't party. I don't drink. I don't go out. I'm very much an indoor cat, but let me tell you next time the opportunity arises to go to a Barty strange show because there, there has not been many, but when I finally see this man live, I'm going to shake my ass, my whole ass to Flage God and probably to Ratchet. I might go really hard for Ratchet because woo, you guys will hear in a minute. Um, that song goes the fuck off. And I'm here for it. Um, I have not been one of those people blessed with seeing Bartiz live yet because unfortunately I moved out of New York in 2019 and Bartiz decided that he wants to do all this shit in New York City and very much thinking about moving back. That's a sick joke. But I feel personally attacked that this man does so many shows in New York City and I don't live there anymore. Live there for 26 years, man. Where the fuck were you? What were you doing? could probably look that up what he was doing but I digress 
But anyway, I will see Barty Strange one day live in concert, hopefully on a headlining tour, hopefully sometime before I die, and hopefully shaking my ass to Flage God. You better believe that that is happening. So that was a huge long-winded intro about why I love Bartice and why I'm doing this episode and I hope that I do this record justice. I'm going to do my absolute best to paint the best word picture possible. I'm not a reviewer. I've said this every review that I do. I'm not a reviewer. I'm not, um, I'm not really a music person as much as I want to pretend like I am on the internet. Um, I'm just somebody that enjoys talking about music, somebody that wanted to make a community with this podcast five, six years ago now. And I just really love the artists that I love. And I just want to share them with you guys. And I know that since I talk about him so often, a lot of y'all have reached out to me and say that um, I've gotten you into him or that you've checked him out. And a lot of you who have checked his music out it's very surprising because of the music tastes that you guys have. So really excited that I'm doing something positive with being annoying because there are days where I champion hard for people and I feel like I am just embarrassing myself. It doesn't make a difference. And I'm just being a goofy, annoying, almost 30 year old woman on the internet. And then there are other days where I just really don't care. And, um, I hope that you guys get something from this. So again, after that long fucking intro, let's get into farm to table. Let's do what Fantano is too afraid to do. That's a joke. Don't copyright me. Don't come for me. Um, I'm making that joke because I got into a Fantano kick for like three seconds because I'm not a fan personally. Again, don't come for me. Um, And I wanted to see if he reviewed Live Forever, and he did not. So I'm going to do what he's too afraid to do, and I'm going to review Bartice's record. So um, if you're new here or you haven't listened to my other reviews, because I don't know why you would. Again, I I probably wouldn't listen to them either because they're just opinions. (laughs) But um, I'm going to go track by track, talk about each song. Bartice has talked a little in depth about all the songs that he's put out thus far. And I believe Pitchfork already reviewed the record. I didn't really look too much into it. And I believe that he also talked to Rolling Stone about some of these tracks as well. So I'm going to give you guys as much detail about each track as possible, my opinions, and a little 20-second clip of my favorite parts of every song. But before we get into the tracks itself, there's a couple of articles and a couple of things that Bartiz had mentioned about Farm to Table in general as a whole for the album and why he called it that. He's been uh, very vocal about why he named it Farm to Table. And especially in this Yahoo article, that's um, the headline is Indie Rock Star Barty Strange Returns to Oklahoma with Farm to Table New Music. It is by Brandy McDonald. And Barty said, I named it Farm to Table because I grew up near people who are uh, from farms, working people. My parents are working people, and now I'm getting closer to these tables, or I'm at the table, of the bigger music industry people that I looked up to for my whole life. Artists I always wanted to be like and felt were out of reach. Those are my buddies now. So I'm just acknowledging where I'm from, but also acknowledging that I'm moving in this new direction. I want to be mindful about both of those things. 
I'm in a polyamorous relationship with genres. I just like them all, he said with a laugh. I'm an Air Force kid, so I moved all over the world and ended up in Oklahoma. I just had access to a lot of different sounds. I loved rap music. I loved country music. I loved blues. I loved house music. I was just like, how you do this stuff ever since I was a kid. I was always investigating how to make these sounds. And as I got older, I was like, oh, these actually are more closely related than people normally give them credit for. And then in an alternative press article, um, the headline was on farm to table barty strange celebrates the people who have helped him along the way just as importantly he's staying hungry and humble and eagerly claiming a seat at the table at the core of his second album farm to table barty strange poses a lofty question who do you keep close once you've become the person you're meant to be throughout the record strange sings of loved ones and home and tour mates then the answer becomes clear his circle comprises certified ride or dies the type of people who wouldn't bat an eye when he mentions that he'd like to sell out the 930 Club in D.C. or collaborate with Ives, Toomer, and James Blake one day. As he embarks on another stacked year, tapping into his community will be the anecdote to self-doubt. I never really cared if people liked what I made, you know, Strange says from his home, having concluded a tour supporting car seat headrest across North America a couple of days ago. Now it's getting harder and harder to do it, which I don't love sometimes, but I still feel like I'm making the stuff I want to hear. The interviewer then asks, if genres keep us in our boxes, is the statement of intent on Live Forever, what do you think is the lyrical through line of the new record? Strange says, with Live Forever, my question was, what would we do? What would it be like if we lived in a world where people just made everything they wanted to make? Fuck the boxes. Fuck what you look like, who you are, whatever. If you could be in a place where you could just do whatever you wanted, who would you be? This record is zooming in on and being like, okay, you can do that. So who are the people that are there with you when you do this? When you build this new world or you start being the person you want to be, who does that invite into your circle? How does that change your life? What are the steps to actually make that world real and maintain it? That's the lyrical through line of this record. Despite all that bullshit, despite all the changes, you're in control and you can do whatever you want. This is what it looks like if you do. I love that song. That song is specifically about guilt when Live Forever came out. I had so many good things happening, but it also was the peak of the pandemic. There were no vaccines. People were dying. I had family that was dying. It was so hard not to feel a type of survivor's guilt for experiencing anything good in that moment. That song is about like, even if that's true, it doesn't do nobody any good to feel guilty all the time. At some point, you got to make a decision to do what's best for yourself and find happiness and celebrate some of these things. Even though it doesn't feel right at all the time, it's okay to celebrate wins. Also, um, Bartice, throughout, uh, I'll go over it once the tracks start hitting, but Bartice had mentioned that a lot of the, um, there, there's some talking throughout the record, and Bartice had mentioned that um, all, all those conversations that you hear are actually family dinner table conversations that he had with his family throughout the pandemic. And I think that, um, and even if you're not a fan or even if you don't really know anything about Bartice or you haven't really read anything and you're just um, casually listened, listening to this record or if you're just listening to it from me doing this episode, you can, you can hear that throughout this whole record, the sense of community, family, and finally being at the head of the table 
really comes through this record. I mean, even the way that the tracks are laid out, you know, somebody's whole life story is being played through this record. Whether you know that person personally, whether you know them through the internet, you hear a full story of somebody's life. And it really does come through that this was written right after Live Forever during pandemic times. I mean, we're still kind of in pandemic times, but peak pandemic time, this album really does um, say community. And I just really love that about this record. And I love that Bartiz decided to do that because he has made it so clear that family is so important to him. I mean, he mentions it every time that he can, every interview, every time he speaks to somebody and it's put out on the internet, he talks about how important family is, how important um, community is. And that's another reason why I really like Bartiz as an artist, because I mean, this podcast was built on a sense of community, something that I wish that I had growing up and his values just uh, ring true through this record and him as a person and it just makes him so so fucking genuine and that's why I, I back him so hard and I, I ride for him so hard and I'm more than happy to hype him up as an artist and I'm just a fan of everything that he does I'm a fan of him personally and I just really can't wait to see what Farm to Table does for him so that's a little background on Farm to Table. Now we are going to talk about track one, which is a song called Heavy Heart. In my opinion, a really great song to start the record off with because it kind of takes you for a loop considering where the record ends. It just, it starts off and you're going to think if you've never listened to Barty Strange's music before, you're immediately going to be like, oh, this is some indie rock song. This is an indie rock artist. This is cool. This is a really cool vibe i'm super pumped for this this whole record is just gonna be just like this the whole time and then it's just <laughs> by the time you get to the record you're like oh i don't know what kind of journey i've been on but it definitely did not end where it started but heavy heart is one of those songs that just it has a little bit of the live forever flavor in there um, it kind of sounds like Boomer and Mustang in that regard with the guitar, uh, the heavy guitar driven nature of it. It's such it's such a cool song. Uh, when I first heard it, I'm like, this is if I had to sum up what I thought Barty sounded like, if I had to tell somebody, if I had to show somebody um, who he was as an artist, you know, as a whole, I'd probably play them something like Heavy Heart. Um from this record just because it encapsulates a lot of stuff about Bartiz. Again, it's very guitar driven. It has <laughs> it has trumpet playing from Connor Murphy of Foxing, which I love so much. I love Foxing. Um, I remember the first time I saw Foxing, I was so enamored by them. I thought it was incredible that this man is both screaming, um, singing his heart out and screaming and playing a fucking trumpet. I just thought it was incredible. Um, I love, I love foxing so much, but, um, I thought that was cool. That was definitely a cool element to bring and definitely surprising. Bartiz's songs, um, they're not generally, generally very long, but they feel like they go in so many different directions. And then at the end, kind of all tie together, much like his music as a whole. So I believe the, um, the song is about four ish minutes long. There's, um, that's the like original version. Then there's an edited version. I think the edited version just takes out the guitar solo at the end. Um, I, I can't really tell you that for a fact, but it kind of sounds like they cut the guitar solo a little bit, which great guitar solo, 11 out of 10. Um, 
really makes me want to scream, play the shit out of those drums, Dale. But um, play the shit out of that guitar, Bartice. Um, <laughs> I I love Heavy Heart. I thought it was a really good song to open up the new era of Bartice's um, next chapter for his second record with. It really, um, really sounded like a polished version of the indie rock alternative kind of music he successfully did on Live Forever. So if you're looking for a more guitar-driven track, if you're looking for something that's like classic, you know, indie rock, Heavy Heart will definitely be your favorite track off the record, or at least um, your favorite track of the singles that he put out. So yeah, here's a little bit of Heavy Heart. I never So again, that was track one called Heavy Heart. And oh my God, let me tell you, when that song came out, it was stuck in my head for, I mean, it still gets stuck in my head. Like I catch myself at work uh, humming or singing along to the chorus. I just keep hearing, uh, <laughs> sometimes I feel just like my dad and I have no idea why. It's just, I, I don't know. That man is a certified hit maker. But that was track one. Track two called Mulholland Drive. Oh my gosh, I I can't get enough of this song. It is such a good transition from Heavy Heart. It has a very similar vibe to it, but starts off with like this nostalgic feel with a guitar melody, very reminiscent of Tiny Moving Parts, This Town Needs Guns, or even Cast of It. If y'all remember Cast of It, what a great band. Um, anyway, this song immediately uh, transforms once the whole band kicks in. It's just like such a nice, cool like very subtle start and then the band kicks in and it's still not very bombastic or very in your face but it's just I don't know it's just a really nice smooth song it kind of gives you that feeling you know the song that they put at the end uh, right before the end credits of any movie where like the the problem has been solved or you know everything is great and the two lead actors are kissing and like it pans just upwards and it's just really beautiful it gives me that kind of kind of feel I think everybody kind of knows what I'm talking about and if you don't sorry that's the only reference that I can give you but Bartiz really took notes on what worked on Live Forever and polished and matured them. And you can clearly hear it on a song like Mulholland Drive. He does an incredible job building to that explosive ending. You can really tell this man loves playing guitar and he really flexes that I can play math rock if I really want to muscle at the end. Uh, it's just there are a lot of acoustic songs on this record that you guys will um, hear, you know, in the coming tracks. And we really appreciate those full band moments and it just really gives us that up until we hit the middle of the record uh, I, I just really love this song so much so here is a little bit of Mulholland Drive
So that was track two called Mulholland Drive. And I don't know, is it just me or does that give like a nostalgic Fall Out Boy kind of feel? For some reason, it just, I, I don't know, maybe it's his voice in the song or maybe just the way that the music and his voice are coming together. I, I don't I don't know what it is, but it just really gives me um, an early Fall Out Boy kind of vibe, like from Under the Cork Tree kind of deal. But I, I don't know. I just, that song is perfect in every way. I instant classic. I love it so much. Definitely my favorite song on the record. Um, well, second favorite song on the record. My number one favorite song is track three, which is called Wretched. Oh man, I have so many things to say about this song. Actually, uh, Bartise talked about it a little bit. He did an uh, interview with Zane Lau for Apple Music One. Love Zane Lau. He is such an incredible interviewer. I just love everything that he does with all the artists that he speaks to. He just has this way with interviewing people that just feels so personal, whether he just met them or has known them for years. I strive to be that level of calm, cool, and collected in my podcasting career and in my daily life. But when Bartise was talking about uh, the song Wretched, he said, I've been messing with this song for a long time. And when it came together in November in London last year, I was just like, yo, that's it. It was all about getting out of the way, just letting the song rock. We were all on our feet. There was only two of us in the room. So we were looking at each other like, yo. And then after we did it, it was like, how did we make like six more of these? Honestly, I wish he would make six more of these songs personally. That song in particular is about how thankful I am for all the people who held me down when I did feel wretched. I think a lot about people second guessing themselves when they feel it in their tummy. They second guess that feeling, but that's the light. You got to follow that. This song and this experience has really showed me the importance of doing that. So I plan on keep doing it. Now I'm going to play a little clip of actually Bartise talking to Zane Lau, just kind of expanding on that. You're in an amazing space right now. And all of the all of the time and all of the, the love and energy you put into your music is really starting to connect. And congrats. I saw the, the great look in Rolling Stone. And, you know, I, I know the whole thing feels fantastic out there for you right now. And, and I just wonder what, how that's informed Farm to Table. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, Farm to Table is basically about transitions, you know. Like, I used to work on a farm, like in Oklahoma. And, you know, grew up from working people, you know, like all my family, sharecroppers, farmers, you know, up until my parents. And so now I find myself kind of at the table with all these people I used to look up to. And this record is kind of about that transition. And that song in particular is about how thankful I am for the people I've kind of met along the way and how they've kind of held me down when I did feel wretched, you know. So it's cool, like watching everything move, even while I've been inside for two years, you know what I'm saying? So it's cool. So like I said, this is by far my favorite song on the record and quite possibly favorite song of the year. This song is the definition of crying in the club. I listened to the song on repeat maybe four times in a row when it dropped. And on the fourth listen, I just got so fucking sad. But the music is very much like, let's fucking rage. Let's party. The way this record is laid out, mind you, just gives such a full spectrum look into the way that Bartise loves to play with genres and truly doesn't let anybody put him in a box. It's a smooth transition track from Heavy Heart being a true indie rock jam to Mulholland Drive 
drive being a more whimsical touch with that same indie rock flavor, but slowly towards the end turns into wretched. This, the songs such far, thus far, in my opinion, do an excellent job weaving in elements of the next track that you only notice if you're really paying attention. And I think it speaks so much to Bartise as an artist and the way that he writes music and just what sets him apart from everybody else in the game right now. I just, you know, and, and it continues on. There's truly a story that goes through with this record. And I know that artists spend a lot of time thinking about the layout of their albums. And there's been like this big push. I mean, I know Adele talked about this and got Spotify to change the uh, shuffle feature. Um, that artists really spend a lot of time creating a story with their album track listing. And even if Bartiz didn't do that on this record, which I highly doubt because it seems very well thought out, the the songs just really bleed into each other, but in a very subtle way. The the way that Wretched um, comes after Mulholland Drive, and then you'll see in a minute with the next song, Cosigns, it just really... It's just really awesome to see musicians in 2020 really paying attention to that. And even if it wasn't intentional, which again, I doubt because it seems very intentional. I just think it's cool as hell. And my final thought before I let you guys hear it is Flage God walked so Wretched could run. Wretched is the updated version of what worked so well in Flage God, in my opinion. And I just, I hope you guys love it as much as I do. Here's a little bit of Wretched. So again, that was track three called Wretched, and the video for that song is just so fun. Barty shot it in a fucking castle, and it's just, it's so cool. He's wearing uh, big butt press overalls. I have one of those overalls, like, all fucking year, and I just can't, like, find myself the... <laughs> the willpower to actually uh, do it. But Bartiz makes them look so fucking cool. I think I might have to actually decide to do it. But moving on from Wretched, which is such a smooth transition, uh, track four, Cosigns, which is the song that he decided to announce he was releasing Farm to Table with. And I listened to Cosigns so fucking much when it came out. It was one of those songs that I just couldn't believe was real. And... It's just, it's interesting to say that because thus far, Bartiz has really shown that he does not let boxes define him. I mean, he's talked about it so many times, but he did this um, interview with Rolling Stone where he talks a little bit about cosigns and the lyrics to it. And the article says, live forever, one tastemaker approval, including support slots with such indie royals such as Courtney Barnett, Lucy Dacus, and Phoebe Bridgers. Cox name drops all three on his latest single, Cosigns, another unfashionably forthright statement. It's something you never see in indie rock, he says of the track, which proudly reels off his personal accomplishments. People are super humble. Oftentimes they're like, it's not even about the money, but I'm not coming from that. He wants the song to feel like you're looking at a mirror and the mirror is look is talking to you it's playful brag <laughs> braggadocio is complicated by some disembodiment auto-tune capturing what he calls the two bartices one humming with bravado the other spooked by his whirlwind career in the article 
Barty said, I used to be on a farm, but now I'm at the table. This is a new world, but I feel ready for it. And I feel like I'm bringing something that's uniquely me. The track co-signs, which he wrote on that London trip in 2021, serves as a thesis statement for the album. It's in no way a hyperbole when Strange says, I'm the only person who can write that song. It's a wildly energetic rap rock hype up anthem in which strange spits witty bars about his tours with bridgers dacus and courtney barnett boasts about facetime calls with bonnevere's justin vernon quips i'm a thief when things get big look i'm i'm a steal your fans and casually tosses off what may well be the only big up to beggars group 72 year old founder martin mills in recorded music history i'm with martin in the mill we grind and making bread those lines express something very special about strange as i get close to achieving things that i've wanted for a long time i feel my appetite growing with it i talk to my therapist about that a lot he says with a laugh i feel like i'm going to run myself into the ground if i keep raising the bar for myself but that's how i am i love that shit i like doing things that are hard to achieve and the bar keeps going up now I have to agree wholeheartedly with Bartice on this he really is the only person that can make a song like this and the transition from wretched to cosigns really is seamless it's not you know a, uh, it's not like a stark transition how some people do on their records but you can hear the uh, rave type you know music experience in wretched and then it really takes you to the next level in cosigns when it just builds and builds and builds. And then that chorus just erupts. And um, I just know that this song live um, is going to be explosive. It just, it really gives me the vibe of uh, in Jersey Shore when they talked about beating up the beat, you know, um, if you watch Jersey Shore, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But in that sense, like you're just pounding your fist and you start real low, you start real low and then you get higher and higher and higher and then you just let fucking go. And that's just kind of the vibe of this song. It's like I can totally see Bartice telling the crowd, like, let's crouch down real low. Let's go low, go low, go low. And then you pop up and you have the time of your fucking life. And that's the energy that this song gives. I just... I love, uh, he had mentioned when the song came out, he said, it's a cocky song and it really is. And it's just so funny coming from him because he is just seemed up until the song was released. And I mean, he still, he still gives off this energy now, but up until this point, he just seemed like such a humble, grateful, down to earth dude. And then he releases this song and he's just name dropping and he's just basically talking about how he's basically untouchable. He's the shit and basically a god, which I know, um, even though I don't know him personally, I just know that's not the kind of person he is. But it really does speak to what he was saying about the two Bartises. You know, he does deserve this success. And I really feel like this song is kind of him being like, yeah, you you deserve this. You really deserve the humble brag. Look at all the shit that you've done. You're on tour with these fucking indie rock giants. You are doing this for real. And I don't know. I just really like Cosigns. And hearing it on this record, it really does fit. When he released it, uh, in contrast to Heavy Heart, I was very much like, that's Bartiz for you. But also, I was very interested and curious to see what the rest of the album would sound like because 
is it going to sound more heavy heart or is it going to sound more cosines? And to my surprise, it sounds like neither. Um, much like Live Forever, you cannot nail down a genre or really a um, a direct, uh, this is what this record sounds like. So I, I think Cosines is a fantastic song lyrically and musically, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Here is a little bit of that. That was track four, Cosigns. Before we move on to track five, I just wanted to read a little bit of what Bartiz had to say on his Instagram about Cosigns. He said, I hope you like Cosigns. I wrote that sucker while I was in London. I had just got off tour with Phoebe and Lucy, and I was about to run out with Courtney Barnett. Three years prior, I saw Courtney perform with the National in D.C. at the Anthem. I remember being so inspired. I went home and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and came up with this beat. It felt like Radiohead to me in the bass. I shelved it until I got to Wandsworth and was working with Chris and Fab. I was reflecting on how much had changed in the past few years while I was there. I had bought a real tour van, one that I was already planning to upgrade. I had toured with people I thought were gifted, special. And in a few weeks, I'd begin a tour with Courtney. I was already staying in a room, TV on the radio once worked, and Martin Mills was sliding downstairs every day to hear what I had made. I felt like I really accomplished something even being there. That's kind of where the song came from. I hope you're enjoying it. Now, the way that Cosigns feels to me after I had read that, I was like, holy shit, he really did go for a Radiohead vibe. And it's just so, it's it's so interesting to me, all of Bartiz's influences, because once you hear him say it at least in my opinion you go oh shit yeah i i really feel that and um he also spoke to pitchfork and he had said i'm really trying to knock down these doors because this is a space that belongs to us i want to be a rapper in a rocker's world i want to be great i want to win and uh (laughs) pitchfork said only a fool would doubt him and i totally totally agree with that sentiment and it's true bartiz really is a rapper in a rocker's world but I also think that he's a rocker in his own right. I definitely think that the way that he um, goes about designing and planning out and mapping out everything that he does musically just really speaks to him as an artist. And I think that he is just so talented in every way. And now we get to um, a very interesting transition from Cosigns to track five, which is Tours. And it's actually a very smooth transition even if you don't want to believe me because the the lyrical content really ties it together even though we kind of go from this um we go from indie rock to this dance kind of crying in the club vibe to this acoustic sounding track on tours and tours just kind of takes us through bartice's life over the last I, i assume couple of years since he wrote live forever and what he's been doing and just takes us through he really paints a picture of all these memories and what it's like being on tour and I just uh based on the direction that the record goes from here I think it's just such a smooth transition and again paints a picture 
of his life and really him as an artist. And yeah, I just think it's a really special song and it definitely helps paint a picture on this record. I I don't have too much to say about it. It's just a very beautiful well put together song and it really just shows you somebody's beautiful memories on all of these great experiences that they've got to have musically so here is a little bit of tours come once a day i'm still on base you talk about times when we were young and i remember That was track five, and that was Tours. And for track six, um, Bartiz really leans into that acoustic, really um, heavy moment type sound uh, as we lead into track six, which is Hold the Line. And he's talked a little bit about why he wrote uh, Hold the Line and how he wrote it. And the best way to sum it up is this article that NPR wrote that actually came out today, um, the day of Farm to Table coming out. <clears throat> and I can't find who did this interview. I'll, I'll link it in the notes as I always do. But the interviewer asked, I want to talk about your song, Hold the Line. That one, it really stayed with me. I know you wrote this about Gianna Floyd, just uh, six when her dad, George Floyd's murder was filmed, sparking mass demonstrations around the world. I was in Minneapolis when protesters were demanding change in the face of police violence. When I watched Gianna smile and say, dad changed the world, it broke me. Watching a six-year-old looking for meaning in her dad's senseless killing, being told that her loss would finally change the world. Can you tell me about this song, where you wrote it, and why you wrote it? Barty said, at the time I was working a full-time job and I was living in D.C. on H Street. I remember hearing the news and watching the video and eventually seeing Gianna speak. My first feeling was how devastated I was. Because here we have this six-year-old child having to address the free world on how her father was murdered on TV. I wish she could have been a kid a little longer. I remember when I realized that because I was black, my life was going to be different than the white kids I grew up with. And every time I see black kids have to grow up that fast, it just sends me all the way back. It's horrifying. It broke my heart and I wanted to write something that nodded towards that, but also recognized that because of her, there was this huge moment brewing. I remember looking outside and seeing all those out-of-towners flood DC in March for days and I just kept thinking, this is us trying to hold the line and trying to fight for something. We don't know like exactly what to even call for. We're just so upset. That song is just a bundle of emotions, and I think that that's okay. That's why I wrote that song, and my heart goes out to that family, and especially Gianna. And then the interviewer asks, and how how old were you when you realized life was going to be different for you compared to the white kids? He said, I was eight or nine. At the time, my parents didn't let me listen to the radio. They were pretty Christian, so if I wasn't, if it wasn't classical music or gospel or like a record my dad had, I remember I was really getting into hip-hop and all this stuff, and I wanted to change how I was dressing. And I started sagging, and I remember my dad just being like, hey, you may see everyone else that doing this in your school, but you can't do this because you look different. You're tall, you have broad shoulders, someone might think you're older than you are. I didn't understand that at all at the time. I was like, why would it matter if someone thought I was older than I was? 
And then he just started to break down what he went through when he was a kid and the friends that he had lost or been killed or put in jail or whatever. I remember getting older and seeing it happen to my world of friends and seeing how people would treat me. Being a kid was kind of taken from me. I had to grow up a little fast. And especially, you know, I grew up in an all-white conservative big football town in Mustang, Oklahoma. We faced a series of challenges living there, like all the way from who you date to how you can be out to what you're driving and everything. Fear becomes the motivating factor for all of the decisions you make as a young person. That's no way to live. Bartice really does a really good job at uh, explaining his experiences and talking about his upbringing and his family. And I just think that he is so genuine and so honest. And I just, a song like Hold the Line, just, it's really hard to listen to. I'm sure it was very hard to write and just really speaks to what everybody felt in that moment. And I just think that this is a beautiful way to encapsulate how heartbroken and how hopeless the feeling of watching somebody get murdered on television felt. So here is a little bit of Hold the Line. He's calling to his mother now. So that was track six, Hold the Line. And the, what a beautiful fucking song that is. It is heartbreaking, but kind of uplifting in a weird way. The guitar melodies in that song just really um, hold you together and rip you apart at the same time. And I just think that um, it just, it belongs on this record so much because it really helps tie in all of the life experience that Bartiz talks about all the time and it really encapsulates the whole family community and his upbringing just in a song and I I love that it's so authentic to me and it's just it's a great song uh it's not something that I can listen to all the time because it really just tears me up but you you did it with that one Bartiz but um, track seven, we were only close for like two weeks. Is it's such a good song to kind of cut the tension, so to speak. It um, we really have such a rise and fall with emotions from this record so far, and this song is kind of like an interlude, and it just really ties into Bartice's love for hip hop. This is something that would definitely be on a uh, lo-fi radio or um, that YouTube channel, uh, lo-fi hip hop beats that everybody listens to. Uh, I could definitely see this on one of those. And it, it's so fucking cool. The record skipping. Um, I listened to this in my car on my way to work um, when I was getting ready to do this episode um i had to go to work for a little bit so i had some time to sit in the car and listen and i i got a little nervous at first because i'm not used to record skips like that in a song 
and I thought that there was something wrong with my car because there's something always wrong with any vehicle that I own. And um, I can't wait to get my vinyl of this, hopefully, if it actually comes out in October like it's expected to. But, you know, vinyl delays are everybody's kryptonite right now. But I just can't wait to own this record on vinyl because I just know that it's going to sound so crisp, so clean, and I'm so pumped for it. So um, this song is not very long, but here's a little taste of that. So that was track seven. We were only close for like two weeks. That song is not much uh, longer than that clip that I just played. I think it's just such a smooth transition song or interlude, so to speak. And I, I love it. I hope he makes other songs like that in the future. Now, as we move on to track eight, oh my gosh, Escape the Circus. I was not ready for that ending. It starts off just so mellow and it's definitely a summer riding uh, in your car with the windows down kind of vibe. It is such a, it's just such a cool song. And then the ending is just very, uh, not alarming because it's not, uh, it's not scary, but it's just, it really takes you by surprise. And I think that that is just something that Bartise does so well is you are always on your toes with his music. You cannot expect the same thing twice. Even though I explained, um, I talked about Heavy Heart being the Mustang or the boomer of Farm to Table. It's not even close to being like those songs. Those songs, in my opinion, have a very similar melody on Live Forever. And I definitely think that for a first album, um, it, it you're always going to have songs like that in in my opinion that have very similar melodies um i i personally like that on a record just because i get so um hyper fixated on things that i like so when i heard boomer i i immediately wanted another song like that i had this problem with uh bully's record sugar egg i fell in love with added on it's the first song on the record and i'm like more 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 and then i didn't get any more it was just different songs and i was kind of bummed out i i am one of those people and then i had seen bully play live and i heard them play a song that i thought was added on but it was not added on and i was like holy shit um I don't know if you guys can hear that motorcycle. My, I, I'm recording right by the window and my street is just always uh, doing nonsense and making noise and just making my life a living fucking hell. But anyway, um, when I went to a bully show, I heard a very similar song to add it on and I was so pumped and I, I just got so excited. I'm like, yes, there's two songs on this album that sound like something that I want to hear. I am more towards the um the rock side of stuff i i don't tend to listen to acoustic songs or songs that are um ballad like but added on and where to start on sugar egg were my favorite songs off that record just because they were very they're rock oriented and i just think alicia is the coolest person to ever be double ganged with but back to bartice and farm to table um this song definitely takes you for a ride and I 
I never know what to expect from this man. I was almost concerned at how uh, Hennessy, the last song on the record, was going to go because uh, if this is going to be this explosive at track eight, what the fuck are we going to end the record on? So this is a little bit of Escape the Circus. That was track eight, Escape This Circus. And now we go into track nine, which is a very interesting song. It is called Black Gold. Bartiz talked about this a little bit on an Instagram post that I cannot for the life of me fucking find for some reason. Um, I had such a, I, I knew I was doing this episode forever, right? And I saved, or what I thought I saved, um, things that he was saying on Instagram because this man has literally talked so much about this record that he made this job so easy and I can't find anything now that I'm trying to record this but I remember him saying that he shows his parents everything that he writes from poetry to songs to they they have seen and heard scrapped versions of everything he's ever done and one song in particular his mother remembers is the song black gold and she remembers him trying to nail it down forever and ever and he has made so many different versions of the song and he finally got it right and this song is very unique because um Bartis has mentioned that he has included dinner conversations with his family during the pandemic in um on this record and you can hear it on this song and i think that is so special you know how people um always do the voicemail recordings on record um on records and sometimes it's done well sometimes it's really corny in my opinion um it's done really well in my opinion from uh, artists like khalid and sizza and um I, I, I love the way that SZA did it on Control with her mother and her grandmother. I thought that's, Control is one of the best albums of the 2010s, in my opinion. Uh, the fact that she released a deluxe version in 2022, uh, we, we've been fucking blessed, in my opinion. I love Control. I still listen to it every goddamn day. Um, it's a flawless record, front to back. Love it. Um, she did such a good job with incorporating her family into that. And I think that Bartiste really does such a good job in incorporating his family into this record and especially in this song. Uh, there was this article uh, by The Root where it says, unlike Live Forever, this al- this new album doesn't blatantly make his black ex- influences known, but it does speak to his black experiences growing up with a family on a farm in a rural small town in Oklahoma that is 85% white. Songs like Black Gold and Hennessy speak to specific feelings Bartiz had growing up around black people. And I just think that this song just really encapsulates him um, growing up moving on with his life and still incorporating his family it is so amazing to see him talk so highly of his parents and you know it's it's really it, it's weird to say but it's just so uncommon to hear people talk about their parents in the way that Bartiz does with this record and you can really tell that he loves and cares about um, his family and his parents so damn much and it's, it's, it's a special thing. And it's, it's weird to say it's special, but this song is a special song. And COVID really it tore everybody apart in some way, shape, or form. And the song really shows 
um, community and shows that through the darkness, there is light. There are reasons to live. There are reasons to get up in the morning. And I, I, I love it. This is one of the best songs that um, could be written. I couldn't think of the right word, but um, it uh, track nine out of 10, I think um, we start really strong with indie rock and then we end very mellowed out and kind of like we're at the table with Bartice, you know, I, I feel like I'm at dinner with him uh, on this song and I just think that that's really cool. So here is a little bit of Black Gold. that was track nine called black gold and we are finally at the end of farm to table with hennessy now some records end on a really crazy bombastic um high note and some records and like this just on a very calm cool end of record note and i really like hennessy because it sounds like um, I think I had read somewhere. Oh my, I have read so many fucking articles and interviews in preparation for this. This is definitely the most work I've ever done for an episode, especially a review episode. Um, but uh, Bartiz just means so much to me as an artist that I had to do him justice for this record, especially because this record is just so, so special. Um, I, I believe I had read somewhere that this record was recorded kind of live and um, supposed to feel like a live moment and you can hear people getting up from their chairs and you can just hear um, shuffling in the background and it's just very much that um, live feel. And I, I love that the record ends on such a note like that because it really does drive home the homegrown um, feel of this. You know, Bartiste deserves all of his success he really is just a self-made great humble artist and this last song just really makes you feel like you're in the room it makes you feel like you're there it feels so intimate it, fe it feels so personal it's almost as if you shouldn't be there that's how I feel about this song Actually, most the back half of this record I feel like is way too intimate for any of us to listen to I feel like you know, we're uninvited guests at the dinner table at his home. And I, I think that that's how it's supposed to feel. I think we're supposed to feel like we are there. We're invited to the table. We're having dinner together and it's a sense of community. And I just have not seen an artist do something like that yet. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say about um, the end of this record other than that, but it's it's so cool. I I know art, other artists do st like stuff kind of like this, but just I I love the way that this album was done. I love the way that it was constructed, and it's just done so intentionally. And I I don't know. It's a it's a cool theme, and it's something that I haven't seen done yet. And yeah, so here is track ten, Hennessy.
And that was track 10, Hennessy, the final track on Farm to Table. And I want to end with this uh, article from The Ringer that says, In 2019, Cox linked up with a kindred spirit in Will Yip, a Grammy-nominated producer whose work with Title Fight, The Men Zingers, Turnstile, Mannequin Pussy, and Tiger's Jaw, among many others, has defined melodic hardcore and punk in the past 15 years. Despite running in similar circles, Yip was unfamiliar with Cox's music until manager Jamie Coletta passed him an early version of Live Forever. Yip recognized a fellow obsessive of rap and hardcore. Despite growing up as an Asian-American kid in Philly, thousands of miles from Mustang, Oklahoma, I heard my childhood, Yip writes. More importantly, the two related as outcasts in a uh, still largely white realm. Our first convo, we talked about how growing up, there there was no other black kid around him walking around listening to Title Fight, Yip continues. I could never find a place playing in bands growing up because white dudes wanted to play with guys that looked like the shit they saw on TV. Other white dudes. Yip also recognized that many labels that focused on punk and indie rock, presumably ones he was very familiar with in his career, were unlikely to see the kaleidoscopic uh, vision of Live Forever. Cox says that was still true when he was uh, shopping farm to table. Every label I talked to were like, can you do five more songs like Mustang? Can you do five more songs like Kelly Rowland? I could, but that's not the point. People listen to all of it at the same time, and that's who I am. When that came to pass, Yip released the album on his memory music imprint. Even now, Cox admits he's never far from the self-doubt that pervaded the time leading up to Live Forever. Midway through our conversation, he's audibly relieved at my telling that I'm enjoying Farm to Table, but he no uh, no longer holds a grudge against anyone who missed out the first time. If anything, it makes me feel smart, he jokes. Like, I knew something first. I knew people were going to fuck with this. And I think that that is a perfect way to end this off. I love Will Yip. I love everything that that man touches. Uh, Everything he touches literally is gold, in my opinion. And, man, as somebody who loves Title Fight, I'm just good to see that everybody can agree that Title Fight is one of the best um, post-hardcore acts of all time. Shout out to Title Fight because without them, I might not be getting married because uh, when me and Colin met, I had mentioned that I, Title Fight was one of my favorite bands and he said that was the moment he knew that he uh, he had to he had to be with me. Um, I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration because, you know, there were other things, obviously, but uh, Title Fight is such an important band to me. I love them forever and I'm so sad that uh, they didn't officially break up, but, you know, needless to say, they broke up and they just release merch every year for some reason. But anyway, um, back to Farm to Table and Bartise. Uh, this record was such a surprise for me. I did not know what to expect after Live Forever because Live Forever was all over the place genre-wise. And I think that Farm to Table just sounds like such a grown-up, matured version of who Bartise is as, as an artist. It sounds like he's confident, has found his footing, and knows what he wants. And not to say that he didn't sound like that on Live Forever, but Live Forever kind of sounded like he... I mean, Mustang and... Uh, Boomer, like I keep mentioning, they sound very similar melodically. And I feel like that happens on first albums more so than usual or on records where people, well, 
artists don't really know what to make. And on this record, on Farm to Table, all these songs sound totally different. I can't tell you two songs sound alike. Um, they all have different characteristics in their own right. And it just sounds like Bartiz knew what he wanted to do on this record. He knew the theme. He knew the direction. And it just sounds like he took the bull by the horns on this. And I just love every second of it. I love every moment, even the hard moments on this record. Um, like I had mentioned before, it just sounds like such an intimate thing that we should not even be listening to. It just feels very private on that back half. But I, I, I love this record. It's definitely up there with my album of the year. I've had a couple of friends text me today and tell me that it's their definite album of the year. And I hope that um, everybody listening gives this record a chance, gives Bartise a chance. Like I have mentioned numerous times in this episode, he is one of the most humble and grateful artists out there right now. And I just know that everything that um, he's doing is genuine. And I'm so happy to support somebody like that. I, I, I love this record and I love Bartise as an artist and I hope that he keeps growing. I hope that he does big things and I just hope that he keeps growing and growing. So with all that being said, I hope you guys liked this episode. I hope that, um, my hiatus was, uh, you know, I, I hope you guys like this so much that you want more um, because I don't know what I'm going to do after this episode. I don't know when the next one's going to come. I don't know what I'm going to talk about next, but I love talking about things that I'm so passionate about. And I hope that something else comes up that I really want to talk about soon because this was so much fun. This was a lot of work. This took me days to do. I went between writing a script for this to freeballing it to uh, reading articles, squinting. And I just, I loved every second of it truly. And I know that this isn't what I usually do, but I really want to play you guys a song by this artist that I've been so obsessed with. Um, you guys may or may not have heard of him. He's an artist called Dijon. I, I, I believe I had mentioned earlier in this episode that, uh, I only listen to my local radio station. Shout out to, uh, WNXP. It's our um, NPR station in Nashville that they just started up last year. And um, they play so much good music, a lot of local music. They play Bartise all the time. And uh, I just heard this song called uh, Many Times by Dijon. And I, I love this song so much. And it, sh it was just so cool. It's just something that I haven't really heard before, especially on the radio, even though, you know, it's an indie music radio station. It's not mainstream. But... I came to find out he's got like a million followers on Instagram. He's got sold out shows and I had no idea he even existed. And I'm just so grateful for um, a radio station like WNXP for allowing, um, allowing artists like that to breathe and to give them a shout out and letting people like me hear new music like that for the first time. But I, I'm not playing many times. That is um, a track that I love near and dear, but uh, as I was de uh, diving deeper into Dijon's catalog on the same record, the album is called Absolutely. It came out in 2021. It's a song called Talk Down. And I, I just love the song. It just, again, much like Farm to Table, it feels like such a personal song. The way that it was recorded just sounds like it was done live, but um, 
clearly doesn't sound live, but just like the vocals and just the way that it was produced and mixed, it just sounds very personal. And I'm obsessed with it. I listen to it at least like four or five times a day. I go between a couple months ago, it was between Talk Down, Swallow the Cat by The National, which is the intro song to this, and Cosigns by Bartise. I just felt, um, I, I listened to them literally in rotation, just the three of those tracks. And I just felt like this episode had to have all three of those songs incorporated. And um, I know that I primarily focus on uh, non, non-white men and I focus on um, women in music and non-men, but uh, I just, Dijon's music is just, it's just so good. And I want you guys to all appreciate and love it. Um, this whole episode is just incorporating songs and artists that I just have really been enjoying over the last year since I've been away and since the last time that I recorded. So I really wanted you guys to have a taste of the last year of my life and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Um, I would plug my socials, but I'm trying my best to um, stay off of them. But um, I'm I'm on Instagram all the time. My Instagram is Samus Socks. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am on there every so often trying to see what's going on, what everybody's up to. And that is Rebel Hearts Girl. I will see you guys at the front. Here is Talk Down. Yeah. 